Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Bonjour and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I am Simon Cardi. With me this week is Emma Matthews. Hello. Hello. And Matt Jones. You can't Hello. see it because this is an audio medium, but we're all wearing tricorn hats. Oh yeah, we are. We are all very much in a Napoleonic mood at the moment. And that's because I'm going to be talking a bit about Napoleon in a bit. This is a very film and TV heavy episode, so if you're you're looking for games chat, you'll have very little of it this week. I'm just warning you. Don't turn off because it's going to be good stuff. But, you know, frankly, not I really had time to play any games this week. And, you know, I've kind of played so many new games for work recently, whether it's reviewing them or doing features that, you know, I kind of haven't really been in the mood to play this week. The only games I really played this week is um, I re-downloaded the whole of Red Dead Redemption 2, which is what? I needed 130 gigabytes of space just to play dominoes. Oh my god! <laughs> I wanted to play the dominoes so badly. I was like, I'm going to download this for a couple hours just to play dominoes. And then I played a few hands of poker as well. Just, uh, was it I worth it? it? Do you know what? It was fantastic. I put on a podcast and played dominoes and poker for a couple hours. I had a lovely time. I loved playing poker in the first one because like cheating mm-hmm. was so easy. Like slipping a like a good card into your lap to play it later. Like it's yeah. Oh, I just I just love being in that world so much. Um, walking around i have a save where i'm as arthur just walking around um saint Denis, yeah playing uh dominoes and poker against old men it was lovely um and also got football manager 24 but uh i won't talk about that yet because i've hardly played it um but yeah films and tv what have we got this week we've got napoleon like i said we've got loki we've got invincible we got the killer and maybe a couple of little things so uh i don't know let's start with napoleon shall we because uh that's mainly what I've been doing this week. I took a lovely little trip to Paris because I don't know if you knew this. Napoleon, Emperor of France, uh, a couple hundred years ago. A little history lesson for I'm just there. learning this for the first time. <laughs> exactly. Um, Ridley Scott's new film. Big lad, isn't he, Ridley? 86 in like a week or two years and still pumping out massive films like this. Happy like birthday. Halfway through. It's Ridley. I know. Happy birthday, Ridley, making Gladiator 2 on his birthday. Um... Of course, did Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, Thelma and Louise, Black Hawk Down, Kingdom of Heaven, The Martian, all sorts. Made a lot of good films. Made a few not so good ones. But um, is Napoleon a good one? That's why I hear you all asking. So uh, does anyone want to ask me that? Uh, historically, uh, maybe not a good one. Yeah, well, that's true. Is it a good film, though? That's the, um, And the answer to that question is, I think it is. It is a you good think? film. <laughs> it's not top tier, Ridley. It's good. I'd say it's good, not great. Okay. So... Napoleon, if you didn't know, around for a good, what, in power? Well, at the height of kind of the French scene for a good 20 to 30 years, a couple hundred years ago. And um, it's a big story to tell in the space of two and a half hours, which is how long this film is. Look, Ridley Scott, I think his original cut was four hours and he loves doing this. He releases a film and then a few years later, it's like, here's the actual version I wanted to release. <laughs> I heard that's the thing about Kingdom of Heaven, which is a movie that Absolutely. I didn't like, but I saw it in theatres. Oh, the director's that, yeah. cut is superb. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see the four hour version of this. Not because by any means 
the two hour and a half hour version is bad, but I feel like it did need that extra room to breathe because it is zipping along at a pace, which is no bad thing. It definitely doesn't feel like a long film, but there's just a lot of battle scenes and you're jo- like, you know, going around the world, following Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon, who is very good and kind of plays in with this almost comedic edge. You kind of get the sense that both he and Ridley, and I actually spoke to Ridley Scott and Joaquin Phoenix when I was in Paris, and they kind of, I got this feeling from both of them that they agreed very early on that he kind of, they were going to play him, not as a fool, but as kind of like agreeing that he was this military genius, but in other aspects of his life, he kind of was like a little bit of a fuck up. Like they, like Whacking Phoenix like talks about this as like, he could command whole armies of men and like countries and like wage war and conquer, but just did not know how to talk to women at all. And that's kind of where the crux, (laughs) you do wage war, do you? (laughs) I also really Um, like that Napoleon's a figure that, uh, like, so much of the things that we think we know about him are made up by his enemies, too. Exactly. I can see this inversion of events just being like, all right, he kind of sucked, though. Like, just as if someone who didn't like him made it. (laughs) Exactly. It kind of rolls with that as well. Like, Ridley Scott has, like, been on record, I don't know if you've seen the quotes in the last week, where someone, like, noted the historical inaccuracies in this film, and he just told them to get a life, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which I love. Um, It's a very much a... It is, you know, it's fact. It's based in fact. He went to these places, he took them over, he did bad things, he won wars... But then, yeah, there's a lot of embellishment very much taken, I think, mainly from a lot of the British sort of like caricatures of the time, like painting Napoleon as this slightly (coughs) pathetic little man. Uh, And it kind of rolls with that a bit. It's not it's kind of taking the myth and legend of Napoleon Bonaparte and rolling with that. Um, And spoilers, British win in the end. So... You yeah. know, <laughs> history is told by the victors, right? So, uh, well done, us. and Ridley Scott is a British man. <laughs> so, uh, this is the story he's told. I do like the film quite a bit. The, the battle scenes are amazing. Like, as you'd expect with Ridley Scott, he's kind of the master of war on film, I suppose, or mm. like of, of recent years, anyway. You think of Gladiator or Kingdom of Heaven or even more modern military films like Black Hawk Down. He knows how to shoot large-scale action scenes. And the battle scenes, in particular, the Battle of Austerlitz, which is a, like probably his Napoleon's greatest victory, looks stunning. It's where it takes place on a massive frozen lake. And also the Battle of Waterloo, which... Uh, do you know what? Disappointingly, he didn't use ABBA over the top of it like he did at the end of the Martian missed Um, opportunity there bit of a cop out sprinkle it it in that's uh, yeah um but yeah the kind of the crux of the film as well as these big battles is his relationship with Josephine his wife and kind of the whole struggle he had of seems to be like every single like (laughs) kind of like historical king or emperor figure is always just obsessed with getting an heir right and like it's just basically the whole (laughs) problem is he's in love like and him and josephine you can tell from this film they're deeply in love but also napoleon knows i need a son and she can't give him one and that is a cause of big frustration for him josephine is played by vanessa kirby who is unbelievable in this film she is so good and Wacking Phoenix is great as well but I think it's leaving this film it's Vanessa Kirby you think most about and yeah I think they're great together on screen and that's where the big it's where the best bits of the film are kind of their quiet moments I think where they're kind of like 
they're solemn moments, but also some quite explosive moments between the two of them. But I also think that's where the longer cut will benefit that relationship more because you can tell like they wanted to get all the big battles in this cut right to make it exciting but you kind of lose some of those quieter moments which although i don't think it completely sidelines josephine you kind of towards the end of her story she kind of just quickly is thrown out of the picture a little bit and you're like oh okay that's that's kind of done with so basically napoleon i think is a good film as it is but could benefit in a few years from having a longer cut which could make it a great film. And it is an Apple TV film, so maybe they will release that on streaming services if we're lucky. You guys going to go see this? Yeah, I really do want to. Um, I saw a lot of the trailer stuff and it looked very impressive. I want to get that on the biggest screen I can. <laughs> it is. It does benefit from that. I know we made that joke. It will be good to watch at home, but yeah, like... I've never, for example, gone to see like Gladiator at the cinema because I was too young when it first came out, for example. But like, I would love to see that on the big screen. But yeah, this is as close as you'll get to that. I think it does look very impressive. Sounds amazing as well, despite having no ABBA. Uh, but what can you do? Yeah. And yeah, like I said, had a nice chat with Ridley, had a video. It will go up tomorrow if you're listening to this on Friday, uh, where I asked him to pick a favourite shot from a load of his famous films, which was, you know, it's kind of a pinch me moment for me to be able to talk to Ridley Scott about Blade Runner and Alien and stuff. Cause, That's pretty know, cool. That's pretty hero big. Of mine, isn't it? Um, and just, yeah, out of the blue, like 30 seconds before um, walking into a room, I'm told, oh, Wacky uh, Phoenix is in here. Do you want to chat to him for 20 minutes? I'm like, um, okay, yeah, sure. I had no <laughs> questions. I wasn't told I was getting him. So I was just like, he was just like sitting on a sofa in his, on a hoodie, like jet lagged. And I was just like, hey, man. And he's like, hey, dude. And I was just like, what do I talk to Joaquin Phoenix for 20 minutes? About? Luckily, there was a couple other journalists in the room. So they took the lead because they uh, they knew about it and I didn't. So, uh, What yeah, did you talk about? <laughs> just talked to, I talked to about working with Ridley and stuff like that. I don't feel I'll actually do anything with that interview. Did and you ask him what his favourite uh, sandwiches? <laughs> I should have just said something stupid like that, shouldn't I? I've just been like, so yeah, we're... Uh, yeah, what's your what's your favorite color? Yeah, <laughs> it'd be yeah. really funny to get Ridley Scott in a movie and just be like uh, in a room and just be like, "So was Deckard a replicant?" Or like, <laughs> just just completely throw it. <laughs> yeah, just just do the most the ba- most yeah. basic Ridley questions of all time. Like, yeah, what do you think about the sequels to your films? Uh, yeah. Anyway, Napoleon, I'd recommend it. Not not one of my favorite films of the year, but I'd give it like a seven. I think it's good, good film. Um. Loki is something that I did enjoy season one of quite a bit on the old Disney Plus. But I think like many people, I've kind of fallen off the whole MCU and to an extent Disney outputting output the last year or so. Um, but Emma, you've watched Loki season two I and have. I've heard a lot of good things from people. So maybe maybe I should jump back in. Is that the case? I, I liked it. I think the season is good. I think it feels quite different to season one. You know, season one sort of obviously it was building up to something big but it was there was still like a lot of time for you know Loki being a bit of a trickster mm-hmm. um the kind of like on-screen like friendship that he builds with Owen Wilson's really good as well um he's like I think his name's Mobius um mm-hmm. I really like that with them but yeah this season feels way more serious there's way more on the line and it has to move like quite quickly to get to where it wants to get um but that's not necessarily a bad thing like I think one thing that's really good with, and this is a problem I have with like Marvel in general at the moment, 
is that we keep getting a load of movies and shows where they don't fully end. It's kind of always left so open. Um, mm-hmm. This season feels like it does end quite neatly. It's sort of season one's like first half of the book and this ends sort of the second half quite good. Um, and I think it's nice for Loki in particular as well because he's sort of, I don't know, like he's through the movies and through the first season, he's a character that's like not taking anything seriously. He's very much like out for himself. And we see that change so much over the course of like this season. Um, so yeah, it's it's a big thing. Also like the fact that I think with all the Marvel stuff, obviously we've been moving into phase five and it feels very chaotic, a bit mm. all over the place. And like, I feel like once we kind of got into the multiverse stuff, it got very muddled. Um, whereas like, I like this season because even though like the multiverse isn't like that difficult to sort of understand and like sort of, you know, pick apart, but this really does kind of ground it a bit more and like explain like what's going on behind the scenes, why certain things might end up happening in like future movies and things like that. Um, I think they did a good job at kind of bringing a little bit more order to that, um, which I don't think we got in the first season. I might check it out. I mean, I, you just say that it was a bit more serious and that was what I was worried about. Are they going to try and like be a bit too serious? Because I think Loki, right, he is like a trickster character. It kind of had that feel. I think like Kate Heron, who was like helming season one, she's like great at this sort of kind of slightly off kilter comedy stuff. But I don't she, she think she was involved with season two at all, which put me off a little bit. But mm. like I said, I have heard good things about this and I've heard it does, despite maybe a rough start, it does end quite well and um i'm intrigued to see where they're going with the mcu i've actually got a piece of feedback which i might uh read in a, a short while actually about where the mcu is going but i have been off board of it especially as like the whole kang stuff despite you know putting all the actual off-camera stuff to do with uh, jonathan majors aside the kang stuff seemed to be kind of going ultimately nowhere they're kind of going around in circles with it quantum mania is actually just maybe the worst film I've seen this year, especially. It's not like, good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just not good, the stuff with him either, in it? So maybe it is time for a reset. And this kind of sounds like from what I've heard, Loki 2 might offer sort of a way out of a, a slight reset with how they were going to originally reset the MCU anyway. So Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like, I think one thing I will say is um, I didn't re-watch like, the, the first season before hopping into 2, and 2 really does literally just like take off from where the first season okay. ends so like definitely watch a recap because the first two episodes of season two i was like what is happening i can't remember like you know mm-hmm. you remember kind of roughly the main points but it really does start off really quick and i was a bit lost with some of the characters and what they were trying to do by the time mm-hmm. it gets to like episode three that's more where like the newer stuff starts to come in you meet like victor timely and you sort of learn a bit more about he who remains and stuff so that's for me episode three was kind of where it started to Mm -hmm. I sort of started to feel like I got into it a bit more and yeah by the end it does feel like there's a good payoff for watching the Mm -hmm. season as well I've heard uh, Kihi Kwan's very good in it as well Um, he's very good yeah he he should just be in everything now shouldn't he we kind of we did 
I say we did. I didn't do anything. The film industry and TV <laughs> did him dirty for thirty years. You we owe him a lot. Put you... him in everything now. Yeah, we've got to make up for it. <laughs> exactly. Um, he's got his Oscar. He, he's happy now. Um, I will actually read the piece of feedback about the MCU now because it makes sense. Um, so this one is from CJ in Nebraska. Who says hello to all the wonderful members of the IGN UK team. I hope everyone is doing well. I was reading the recent stories about Marvel considering bringing back the original MCU characters, and it got me thinking about the state of the mcu i used to be super plugged into everything going on in the mcu listening to podcasts and reading various articles about what may or may not happen but i've since lost all interest in it i liked wonder vision and the hawkeye series okay but everything else has been in my opinion subpar i feel like bringing back the og characters is marvel essentially admitting they cannot recapture the magic of the infinity saga from what has been reported, it seems as though it's lost a considerable amount of viewers, and I think it's fair to say nowhere near as popular as it once would, was. My question for you is how would you fix the MCU if you were given creative control? By fix, I mean restore it to its once dominant place amongst movies. For my part, I like many of the new characters. I think Kamala Khan and Kate Bishop are great characters, and would love to see them build a young Avengers team. And maybe Eli brady and do a young avengers or spider-man or sam wilson as the new leader they could fail and struggle to grow to learn to be earth's mightiest heroes all while fighting the government-sponsored thunderbolts so what do you all think do you still care about the mcu and how would you get it back on track anyone have any thoughts i have some ideas but uh i think i don't know like the consequences of the amount of stuff that exists was a Mm. deliberate disney note from what i have heard right like it was, this thing is successful, let's just make loads of it. And mm-hmm. it just feels like each individual part is less of an event. It is yeah. just the, you know, there's quite a lot to keep up with and basically none of it can really move anything forward, so none of it is essential enough. I think you yeah. just have to make sure that the thing that's actually being produced is meaningful. That's that's really the only exactly. step forward. You just reminded me of the in the first ever episode of I'm Alan Partridge when he's having his sit down with the BBC director. I mean, evolution, and he goes, not revolution. Exactly, and he goes like he says like Morse, like he lists like all of the like Bergeret, he lists all the regional detectives, and he's like, people like them. Let's make more of them. <laughs> is exactly yeah. what uh, you've just described with the MCE there. Um, but yeah, I What's kind a region of, that doesn't have a detective yet, actually? Um, is there a good Isle of Man detective? Yeah, anybody from the <laughs> Shelties? <laughs> yeah, who knows? There is a well, it's a detective drama called Shetland. Oh, there you go. It's, there you go. Uh, it's, it's already been mined, is the thing. Yeah, Exactly. Um, I think, and it's kind of the direction they're going, and I'd kind of just, I feel like I agree with you just a bit. They're kind of, I don't think they'll bring back any of the original lot just yet. I don't think they're that desperate yet but they are kind of through all these series and through these characters that are all tan tangentially can't say that word today linked to these older characters kind of clinging on to them whether it's like hawkeye or loki they kind of are linked so you do almost need a fresh start and i hope that's where with like fantastic four and x-men and mutants coming in maybe it's it's not quite a hard reset but you can kind of just ignore all these characters for a bit and start the Fantastic Four out new, start X-Men out new and kind of go with that side of it rather than trying to continue this whole multiverse Kang story. Because I feel like that is 
it's only going to remind people of the Infinity Stone stuff, I think, go in the Kang direction and the Seek. I know they planned out the whole Secret Wars stuff, and maybe they can do that in the future, but like, just give us something completely fresh. And none of us have seen the Marvels yet, and I've heard it's actually pretty good, and I do intend on seeing that one, probably when it gets to Disney+. Plus. But again, it is these characters we've already kind of known for a bit, and yeah, I just kind of don't need a full reset, but yeah, just some brand new characters would not go amiss, and Hopefully Fantastic Four and X-Men done right can be that. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I agree. I feel like we got to a point with all of the films and shows where there's just so many characters kind of on the go at this point. And it's like, let's sort of bring it back a little bit and make it a bit more focused. I feel mm-hmm. like like I didn't even watch um, Secret Invasion because it was just like, I'm not that invested in this story. And mm-hmm. I think it's... A, was it okay? Like, you watched it, right? I, I didn't like it. I found it quite boring. Yeah, okay. All right. I'm glad yeah. I skipped it. Then. But yeah, I think, like, a lot of people have that problem of, like, they sort of, they have their characters that they care about, and that might be the movie they go see at the cinema, or that might be the show they bother yeah. with. But we've got so much currently that it's just, like, I, I wonder yeah. how many people are actually watching everything. And, like, especially with the way the stories are, like, in this phase you don't really have to watch everything to understand what's going on anyway. Like, it's not like you're missing no. out on much. Well, I think luckily, I say, say to break, we've got one Marvel film next year and that's Deadpool 3, which might may or may not be linked to other stuff. Who really knows anymore? But uh, I've not even seen the first two Deadpool, so who knows if I'll go see Deadpool 3. But um, They're yeah. fine. Yeah. They're all dust the thing. I want something more than fine. I want good. Uh, only so many hours in the day where I've got to play dominoes. Uh, in Saint Denis, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's that's the Marvel corner for today, anyway. But it's not the only superhero stuff we'll be talking about because Invincible is back, season two on Amazon. I watched the first ever episode of Invincible and thought, oh, this is pretty good. For some reason, didn't watch the rest. Probably too busy. Something happened in life. I don't know, and I've never actually read the comic, which I know is meant to be very very good. But both of you have been enjoying the, a recent bit of Invincible. Am I right? It's great, mate. Yeah, I'm so glad it's back. I mean, it's but been why? about why? Why is it great? About four <laughs> years since the first season. Is it is four that years? Right? Is it that long? It, it's three, maybe. Like it's definitely well, like during pandemic. I think it came out. Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to gauge my memory of this one. But yeah, production massively stalled for this one for ages. Everybody's been clamoring for it. Mm-hmm. Happy to say, worth the wait thus far. I don't know if you've seen the latest episode yet, uh, Emma. Actually. I haven't watched today's Ooh. one because it comes out on Fridays, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I'm Hell looking of a forward cliffhanger. to that later. Oh, they always do this. Mm-hmm. I feel like so many of the episodes end like that. But it is, it's one of those shows that you want to binge watch, but it's also so good that you have to watch it weekly. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'm sitting kind on of what's, I can kind of vaguely remember, but what's the setup for Invincible in total, right? It is more of a, a mature rated um, that I think is the beauty of it. I think it initially presents itself as a you know a, a regular coming of age uh, superhero story that then just like is actually quite a lot more graphic and than it than it should be. Like the the beauty of it is that it's like kind of golden age comicy tropes, but then given an extra little bit of gruff grossness. Is it, is it on top of it's almost yeah like I don't know like yeah like old Superman animated stuff but with like the essence of the boys to it, that sort of thing. I think that's definitely a way to sell it. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. 
And to and it's like, what's the what's the setup for the story again? I just can't remember who who is the lad. What's his name and what happens at the start? He's the son of the world's best superhero who okay. discovers his powers for the first time at a pivotal moment in the world's history. Oh. That, that's about it. And then what is the story of him? What and from there he's trying mm. to emulate his dad? Or sure, let's let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> give me a give me a scrap of the story. Yeah, if this know. all happens well, I, in the first episode, I don't the, think anyone's going to be annoyed. I guess everybody's seen everything that's come out of Mortal Kombat One. Maybe his dad's not as nice as he thinks. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So like the first season, I guess, is kind of. I mean, I haven't read any of the comics and stuff. So for me, I was I was very much like the the teenager that it focuses on where it's like you're learning about this world with all these different mm. superheroes that you've not seen before. And yeah, his dad's like the, you know, the ultimate Superman kind of defending earth. Um, but there's also kind of like a little bit of a mystery going on in the background. Some stuff's happening within, they've got like their own kind of like justice league sort of group mm. that also helps protect earth. Something's going on with them and with like the organization that kind of, um, like it does sound them. very much like the boys, doesn't it? it? It it's very similar, and it's also like very dark and it's pretty violent. Um, but it's really good. The first season, the final episode of the first season, is amazing. Like I can't believe it. It's been that long since we watched it, like three years. But yeah, um, so I'm not going to spoil it. But yeah, something mm-hmm. big happens in that season. Then this season's more kind of like the aftermath of that picking up the pieces after this like massive event and sort of the main character like trying to work out who he is okay and that sort of and also there is a little bit of like multiverse in invincible as well like i won't say like how it comes into it but there's a character that can kind of switch between multiverse like different universes and stuff and that's something's going to happen with that i don't know how that's going to pan out but it's pretty interesting how they're approaching that I feel like multiverse stuff in general just seems very like trendy at the moment. It's Lots weird of that this was like much. the timing of this as well because it was all in a comic book that was like ten years ago too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I think it's just a very comicy thing to do. Nice. I might. I'll say I might check it out. I'll put it on the long, long list of backlog things I have to watch and play and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I did. Like I said, I watched the first episode when it very first came out, and I did like it, but for some reason just maybe because it was weekly i was just like falling off it if it had all dropped maybe i'd do it all in a weekend or something the thing i think that sold people initially was just the surprising level of talent in the voice cast like Mm -hmm. the main characters being done by uh steven yun of previously the walking dead and beef and um soon to be mcu (laughs) exactly yeah we won't talk about any of that news yet because it's still (laughs) technically speculation uh but uh and jk simmons as uh one of the lads as well but like all of the um the guardians as well being like really like unique voices that you'll definitely pick up on if you're like zachary quinto is one of them too like there's no reason that they should have been able to like gather a degree of talent this big silas himself yeah is it time to bring back heroes again oh yeah i hadn't thought about that he's already played (laughs) a superhero before yeah Yeah. god remember how good that first season of heroes was oh excellent yeah ah what happened there that is like the classic answer isn't it of like what's one season of television that was good i was like that was good and then things happened um sounds like there's a lot of killers in invincible despite Mm. the show being called invincible and do you know what other thing has a killer in it a little netflix film called the killer the latest from the man the king of nihilism 
David Fincher. God, I love David Fincher. Um, Matt, I'm going to let you say what you think about this f- film first because I feel like we have slightly differing opinions, mm. which is always fun, isn't it? Um, I think this movie's fine. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll give you a little okay. bit of background. It's about a, a lad who... Like, if this movie was about a lad making a table, it'd be called The Carpenter, in the same way that this guy, <laughs> his profession is being a killer. Like, that's the thing that he's yeah, really yeah. good at. He's so a it, it is him, like being incredibly effective and professional at being a killer which mm-hmm. i think is very cool he feels like like an archetypal character this movie i will say is as close to i know they have literally made uh, movies of hitman but mm-hmm. this feels far oh, more like agent, a, agent 47 he is film. agent yeah. 47 as hell he is putting on costumes he's like you know collecting stuff in the environment mm-hmm. to be able to use it later like very much if you like the hitman series go see this the thing I thought about it, though, is that, like, he seems so much like uh, an archetypal person that this movie or like if this movie came out in the 80s, I would say mm-hmm. like, oh, this is such a cool like character portrayal. We haven't really seen anything like this before. And now, like, we've had other killers in movie like uh, or in TV shows like, you know, Dexter. Right. Mm-hmm. I just keep thinking about how like that's a kind of guy that has another thing going on in the background. This guy mm-hmm. is so much this archetype and this movie's so much about that that I find mm-hmm. it hard to really think about anything else. It's it's a film about process, right? And mm. like David Fincher is the ultimate process filmmaker if I want to go into full film theory mode here. So for the record, I think this film is fantastic. Um, I don't think it's top tier Fincher. It's not Zodiac Social Network 7 Oh yeah, it is a seven. As good as Fight Club. We agree, it is a seven. (laughs) (laughs) Well, seven's a ten. So um, I think this film's like great. It's not like I said. It's on the second tier of David Fincher films for me, which still is better than ninety-five percent of films out there. Um, But yeah, like I said, it's a film about procedure and doing things to the nth degree and getting things like perfect which is ironic because the catalyst for this film is this hitman where a hit goes wrong this happens in the first 10 minutes of this film and that's kind of the catalyst for this film is michael fassbender who is fantastic as this as this hitman he doesn't really have a lot to say he's a very quiet character a lot of inner monologue but just as a physical presence he is so good and he kind of does it you can tell he's he's done this a lot he's a professional hitman been doing it for numerous years and it's very effective but one day a hit just goes wrong and it's sort of the chain events that happen from that and him having to clean up the mess calls from that and it kind of introduces this emotional aspect to his work that he keeps normally completely separate from he can just completely compartmentalize the job and his home life but those sort of clash in this moment which is sort of a if again if i want to go really wanky film theory i think it is david fitcher doing a reflection of himself some people have as said a this character because like this previous movie you have to it was mank wasn't it, it was mank which yeah. I think it's okay. It's not his great film. (laughs) It's not his great film, which I think he kind of thought it was. But it's sort of that reflection, right, of like how does someone who's a perfectionist, like he is like known for like doing 99 takes of shots and like driving actors crazy. Like if you've seen Zodak, you've seen The Social Network, that film is like cut and like shot and every line delivered to perfection. And he, and that's sort of the process the killer is going for in The Killer but it goes wrong when it's, it's all about what happens if you miss. And 
I'm not going to put the words in David Fincher's mouth and I don't know if he'd ever say it of like what of his films or projects he thinks is a miss. Maybe he thinks Mindhunter is a miss because he won't ever get to finish it. And sort of Mank was his emotional response to making that and that didn't quite hit and that's sort of kind of what Michael Fassbender's character is doing in this film is trying to respond to a miss through emotion and he doesn't quite get it right. But also the one thing I want to point out that about this film for all its kind of silky, just like clinical precision to its action scenes some of which are fantastic i think like they're more sort of like the born film style of action where it's very like close in action there's one fight against quite a burly assassin guy in a room which is like you can feel like every hit there's a, a funny moment of a cheese grater um that it doesn't he doesn't quite use it how you think he would that but scene all that- actually felt like it should have just been in another movie honestly it feels oh, so far out of tone for the rest it. of the film um, like actually, I've been thinking about this. There's a bit with a fire poker as well. I thought about mm-hmm. to myself, like this is so contrived. Like who's got a fire poker? Who's got a fire? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's house? like every every hit he does, every like scene he goes to is like a hitman level. It's like what can I use in sure. this to do something? Um, and that is the thing I would also say is for the serious, for like the po faced, unemotional, nal- unemotionality of it all. I'm making up words. It is actually quite funny. In, in some ways, it reflects Napoleon, because like, I think David Fincher and Fassbender see this character as sort of... He's not a fuck-up, but like he no. will make mistakes, and they'll make... And it, you will have laugh at his expense every now and There is a and great then. thing about how like his self-image doesn't necessarily match up with his actions. Like yeah. it, It's got a constant narration, and the, that narration doesn't always match the things that he's exactly. doing. Exactly, it's the unreliable narrative. It's like yeah. Fight Club. It's kind of take... It's, it did remind me of Fight Club a lot. Not for its themes necessarily, but the unreliable narration of it all and just the style of it. I need to watch it again. I've only watched it once. It only came out, what, a week ago on Netflix. It was in cinemas for a week or so. Um, I do want to watch it again because I feel like I'll appreciate much more of it second time around now that I know what it is because I did go in expecting a slightly different film and it is much, most like low-key, quite a, quite a low-key film. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be, I did really like I will it. warn the audience as well. There's a, there's a really good, like, diegetic, uh, like, opening scene mm-hmm. of, like, his hands as he's doing a bunch of, like, awful stuff. And then it's yeah. just a very slow character drama for maybe 30 oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, it's not... Like, be, not be ready film. for that. You're it's not like, necessarily yeah, getting the movie you think, you think hours, you're getting. It's not a long one, but it's quite slow. And just the funny way that this man is quite clearly like he is almost like i don't know if he believes in like hoodoo or he definitely believes in procedure it's like to prepare for every kill he just listens to the same playlist of like 10 the smiths songs which is just quite funny that the only music apart from the odd like like kind of ambient soundtrack that trent Reznor and atticus frosty for this one it sounds like they've played inscription because all the sounds are that sound like they're from inscription in this film um but all the other music in this film is just the smith songs and some of them are used I, i'm not a big smith fan and i'm definitely not a big morrissey fan but the way they use in this film are are very funny they're and the way jokes. the lyrics play for jokes absolutely yeah the way yeah. the lyrics reflect the situation he's in every time is very funny um but yeah I, I, it's on Netflix, so if you got that, definitely give The Killer a watch. Um, like I said, I'd probably, I don't know, like I, I don't sixth rank it. in David yeah. Fincher's film. I don't rank it high amongst his oeuvre. Like I think, no. uh, I, like I was thinking about how much I love Gone Girl recently. Like I, I love Gone Girl so much. Yeah, it's not. It ain't Gone Girl, but what yeah. is? That's it's a high bar, somewhere. to be fair. Mm. I mean, I would still like you said seven. I, I'd give this film like an eight, but you know, there we go. 
I need to watch it again. I just want more David Fincher films because you can never get enough of them. I watched Seven again yesterday. Still amazing. Just so good. So good. So dark. Mm. Probably one of the darkest films you'd ever get to watch. I heard this story about the production of Seven where like everybody who wrote the script was like, this movie's actually evil. Like, How have yeah. you like caused this movie to exist? I think some <laughs> actors read for it and they were like, this is too dark. Yeah. <laughs> like, It's a miracle that that film got made and it was a blockbuster mm-hmm. as well. Like, God. There's God, still nothing Fincher. like it, honestly. There really isn't. I, I, I would love to talk to David Fincher. I've been lucky enough. I was at like a screen talk with him once where he like chatted on stage for an hour and that was amazing, but I would love to talk to David Fincher. Well, he'd make I, you do I the interview and then no you'd have to do it another 20 times. <laughs> exactly. He'd have no time for me. He, he doesn't take fools, suffer fools. Eh, neither does Ridley Scott, I suppose. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, what else have we been watching? I don't know. I've just waffled on there. Who just added what we do in the shadows to the rhino? Was that you, Emma? That was me. That's You've been enjoying that, have you? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love that show. It's, have either of you watched? Have you it's watched like it? I've watched it. Yeah. I've watched the film a couple of times. I've watched the first season, but I think I fell off for some reason. I don't know why, because I was enjoying it. But are we on to like five seasons now? It is, season five. So season five came out in the US like much earlier this year. We just got it at the end of mm-hmm. October here on Disney+. Plus. So if you're waiting for it, it's there now. Um, but I love this show. It's so silly. And I think like... You know, coming from like Marvel and Invincible where I feel like, especially in Invincible, I need to be like switched on to watch it. Like, I love that a show like this exists where it's just really silly. And I feel like they can just kind of write anything into the show and somehow make it work because it is just so relaxed and Mm -hmm. all the characters, they're always getting into some kind of pickle, you know, and they've got to get out of it. Um, And at the end of like last season, again, like I won't spoil anything in case you do just want to like blast through it and get to season five. But they're um, so it's like a group of vampires um, living in like New York and they've got like this uh, human familiar who like kind of looks after and makes sure that they don't get into like too much trouble because they're not very good at hiding the fact that they're vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that human character we've kind of seen from the beginning, he starts off as very like meek and mild and he's just like so excited to be with these vampires. Like he loves the idea of like potentially becoming a vampire one day. His story goes on like a wild ride through these first four seasons. (laughs) And then we get to season five and I just love the fact that he's so much part of this group now. Like he was very much sort of like the character that's like looking in hoping that he can one day become one of these characters but the way that they've written him is so that 
even though he's not necessarily on like the same level as they are right now, he's got his own stuff going on in the background that they have no idea about. And you get to see so much of it sort of come to a head in this season, which is really good. That's what I was going to ask, because like, is that how they've done it? They've kind of done it through this character's eyes. Because I was wondering, like five seasons in, like even the film, which I think is fantastic. By the end of that, I'm like, okay, I've, you've kind of, you've told this joke by now. Like, I get the joke. They're out of place. Like, is that how, have they managed to keep it consistently good? And how have they kind of changed it over five seasons? Because that's quite a lot for me, which is what the joke is. Oh, there's these old school vampires in New York and they don't get modern times. Is that, that's not just the same joke over and over again, right? No, there's like, it goes to some places, right? So like one thing I'll talk about from one of the seasons, which sounds really strange if you haven't watched it, but like hopefully it will hook you to get you to try and watch it. Is that so the group of vampires, you know, you've got the old school ones and then there's one that's an energy vampire, which just mm-hmm. basically means that he's, he's really boring. He's incredible. Like he's the most infuriating person ever because he's so like, good. Um, but yeah, they have like a whole season basically where he kind of goes for a bit of like an existential crisis and then he's like reborn and becomes like, a baby again okay. it's, it's it's really strange but like that's just and like that's the thing you don't know where the story is going to go because it could literally they could just do that and be like okay we're taking this character out he's going to be a baby you're going to watch him grow he has like this whole friendship with um laszlo and like i think what's really good is like each season you kind of see like very different character pairings so you get mm-hmm. a season where those two are really close and then in this like more recent season, you see way more of like Laszlo with um, Guillermo, who's the the human. And um, it's just the, the, the way they do stuff is really like just strange. I think you can't ever predict what exactly is going to happen because there's no rules, it seems, in this show. It's just like if we want to do that thing, if we want to get these two to go together and go off on some kind of like weird adventure together we'll do it and somehow they'll find a way to like loop that back into the main story and make it kind of make sense um but yeah this season is like it's great because you see like a lot of characters doing stuff that's like a little bit different to what they might usually do like i said with guillermo he's kind of he's got his own stuff going on as well as the stuff with like the group of vampires um and sort of like stepping into his space of being the one on the outside looking in. They've got um, like a different vampire, the guide, um, who I just felt bad for this entire season because she just wants to be accepted by this group and like they do not care for her being around at all. Um, And she kind of has an episode though, which kind of focuses more on her, which is really nice. Um, I like the fact that each of the like one of the ways they kind of like shake it up a bit is like you won't always have an episode where it is like all of them together. They might have like a spotlight episode on one where the other characters will be in it, but it's like more focused on that one and something Mm -hmm. they've done wrong or something they've managed to get themselves in trouble somehow. Um, You have made me want to watch it again. I liked it too. Yeah, more of the backlog of things I've got to catch up on. That's, At least it's like very easy watching, right? Yeah, exactly. It's short episodes, like 25 minutes or something. Um, and yeah, because it all dropped at once as well. I think my partner and I must have watched it over like three days. It was very quick. It's just 10 mm-hmm. episodes. Um, but yeah, it's one of those ones where you can just kind of have it on in the evening. You'll probably get through like two or three episodes in an evening, maybe even more if you're really into it. But mm-hmm. 
it is silly. It's like a nice bit of comedy. And yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Nice. I do need, yeah, maybe I should. I need to watch more new stuff. I've been last couple of weeks just getting into the habit of re-watching things. Things I know that are incredible, but I'm like, oh, I'm just, am I wasting my time watching this for the third time? You know what I mean? Like, for example, I've been going on a little bit of a documentary binge watching some of my favourite documentaries ever. Uh, one of which, I mean, they couldn't be more tonally different between these two documentaries. But uh, of course, King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, Maybe one of the best documentaries ever made. If you guys watched certainly King of Kong, one of the best villains that's ever been in. Uh, oh, Billy Mitchell! <laughs> yeah. If you ever watched King of Kong, ever I've never oh, seen I it. Can't it. recommend it enough. It is only what eighty minutes, seventy-five minutes, maybe. But it's the story it's, it's... of twenty years ago. Um, this just like normal man from Seattle decides one day I want to break the world record for Donkey Kong, and. He starts doing this and it's set behind with the backdrop of this almost like super, super villainous record holder called Billy Mitchell, who's like an all-American hot sauce maker who holds this record. But it's quite obviously, I don't know, a fraud, I think. is Well, he's been proven to be a fraud since, right? So um, it's kind of this story of like him and all his little funny minions who are just pathetic men, basically, trying to keep this man's record safe. And it's the story of this just normal, quite nice family man trying to break this Donkey Kong record against this evil. Like, you couldn't script a funnier, like, mockumentary. It's so funny, and it's just, like, these... It's just the best set of characters. So, yeah. If you haven't watched King of Kong before, I, I cannot recommend that enough um but yeah on the other end of the scale is the act of killing has anyone watched? i don't anyone? have the stomach for it i know really? the subject matter i don't think i can go anywhere so near i it. watched this originally when it came out i think 20 let me have a look i think it's 2012 the act of killing yeah it is so i watched it maybe 2012 2013 and then yeah last week watched it again because like you said it's not an easy watch um but i wanted to watch it again because it's the most remarkable piece of like documentary filmmaking you'll ever see it is about the Indonesian mass killings in the 60s where between anywhere between half a million and two million basically communists in Indonesia were just murdered in the space of a year um, no one really knows how many um, and basically this documentary maker Joshua Oppenheimer went to Indonesia in 20 what 2012 I don't know when it would have been a couple of years before this so maybe 2010 and talked to the people who did these murders who basically don't really feel they did anything wrong they were just like hired by the government to be torturers and murderers and these people are kind of still in charge of Indonesia and basically asks gives them money and is like I want you to show me what you did and they basically decide to make kind of a gangs a absolutely bizarre almost gangster musical film which like recreates some of these murders and he shows the he shows uh this man where he did all these murders how he murdered them and it's just you're listening to these people talk about things like it's fiction but the total dispassionateness yeah yeah the, the total just like me, matter yeah. of fact of like here's where i murdered thousands and thousands of people and it has the most, I'm not going to reveal the end just in case you want to watch the film, but it has one of the most remarkable, like with this main man who was like uh, one of the head, like torturing killers, like this moment, these like 10 minutes with him where you just, I thought um, it, it doesn't spoil the film because it's a documentary and these things happen, but like basically him coming, he does have this almost moment of realisation and you kind of see his face just like, 
he's he's watching the recreations that they've shot of him um doing it and he's watching it he's like did i do this to people he's like almost like didn't realize he had done this it's 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 absolutely unbelievable to watch harrowing to watch and like i said yeah not not definitely no laughs to be had whatsoever in this film there's some horrible things said um but um yeah, if you're looking for one of the best documentaries ever made, check out The Act of Killing. I've still not watched The Look of Silence, which was the sequel, a couple of years later, which followed it kind of from the other side, one of the victims' families. Um, I do need to watch that, but again, need to build up the uh, the stomach for it, I think. But yeah, check out The Act of Killing. I don't know where you can watch it uh, these days, but uh, I found a way, let's say. You can probably rent it. Uh, but yeah, God, how do you move on from that? Um, feedback, I guess. Feedback, yeah. Let's <laughs> bring up I, the spirits. It's yeah. stuff from the audience. Um, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. I've already read out my feedback earlier from CJ about the MCU, so we've only got two more to go. No endless search this week, I'm afraid, because we're a little bit uh, a little bit rushed for time this week, I'm afraid. Sorry, a lot of work to do. But, Emma, what email do you have for us? So we have an email from Gage Luke. Is this Gage Luke? Luke Gage? Is that I the think right it's way Gage around? Luke. Gage Luke. Thank you for writing in. I'm sorry if I said your name the wrong way around. <laughs> um, if I had to only play games starting with a particular letter for the rest of my life, it would undoubtedly be games starting with S. You get all the Star Wars games, uh, Jedi series, all the Jedi Knight games, Squadron, Battlefronts, Knights of the Old Republic, etc. It feels like cheating, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's allowed. Yeah. We'll, we'll allow it, yeah. Uh, Spider-Man. However, it yeah, count. if we allow this, if we allow Star Wars and all of them. No, I think that's, I think that's Marvel's. Marvel's. Yeah, can't have Spider-Man, sorry. Um, you can have Spider-Man 2 for the PlayStation 2. Yeah, you can have that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, you get SX3, the best extreme sports game of all time. All Some people say games. I prefer Tricky, which I, prefer I don't tricky. agree. I think SX3 or, is the best one. I mean, I haven't played them in probably almost 20 years. I would regularly do this. I would like go to the top of the mountain and then spend a half hour going down to the bottom of it in SX3. <laughs> this very has become good. a very controversial email, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you get Super Mario series, Skyrim, Super Smash Brothers. There are a lot of S's. Mm. Um, I'm sure there must be films like this as well. S is like probably. Oh yeah, S a is a good. One. S is a good layer. All the best things begin with S, I think. Yeah, is that because nothing to do with your name? <laughs> all, no, no, yeah. no, absolutely not. Uh, ton of Super Nintendo games, Sekiro, Soul Calibur. Mm-hmm. Uh, fa- oh, that, this is a uh, Gage's favorite fighting game, and so many more. Um, some indie games as well: Somerville, Solar Ash, Shovel Knight. Um, Skim. Good times. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the Lofi version of the Ender Search was nice. Maybe pepper it down a bit. So pepper <laughs> it in down and then. But uh, the OG is sacred and should never okay. come under such slander. <laughs> um, haters gonna hate. Much love and respect the sea. P.S. I was featured on the Drowning. Hey, well, oh yeah, nice. That is, a, that is a claim to fame. Yeah. I think, I, episode. I think I did uh, M letters last time I was on, but Emma, I don't think you've done the... What's, what's yeah, in, what are I mean, E games? Put you on the spot. E yeah. games? Yeah. Enter the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first one that came to I'm trying to think, like, what uh, I that begins with an E. There must be some good games. Games for Elden Ring's gonna... a pretty good oh, game. Oh, that's Strong. a good game. Yeah. That's quite a good game, isn't it, Elden Ring? I'll take that uh, one. Yeah, you can have that. I mean, can't you technically have every EA Sports? Uh, we can have EA Sports FC. That's a good maybe. one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Earth Defense Force. 
Earthbound is loved by a lot of people as well. It is. Yeah. Uh, everybody's golf is good fun. That is. A and you know what? Game. You can even have the you can even have the eye toy. Oh, classic. <laughs> There we go. He's not very good. No, he's I'm sorry. not a great one. <laughs> I'm sorry if you were to be lumped with that, but that's how it goes sometimes. But uh, that's 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 the world sometimes, isn't it? Uh, Matt, I've got an email here from Luke Esson. I'm deciding to put a little bit of English mustard on that <laughs> pronunciation. It's probably Eason. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Hi all. <laughs> Long time, first time, and all that. I recently finished The Wheel of Time Season 2 and thought it was excellent, but one criticism I had was that it felt like a lot of lore was introduced very quickly. I soon lost track of places, names, etc. I've now bought the first book and I hope to be well underway with them by the time the next season comes out. I remember similar criticisms being levelled at Game of Thrones and The Witcher, but for those I'd already read the related books so I didn't realise how impactful it can be. Although to be fair, nothing could rescue later seasons of either show. My question is, have there been any TV shows, films or games you've watched and it been a bit put off when you realise just how much info there is out there? Another example for me is Dune, an excellent film, and I'm excited for the next instalment, but the first 50 pages of the book are maps and other world-building <laughs> entries. Keep up the good work with the pod, and thanks for making my Friday evening commutes much better. I feel really similarly... Oh, uh, Luke also says respect the sea. Sorry, I can't miss out on that one. No, no. Uh, I feel very similarly about a lot of uh, media properties. If they like are front-loading with a lot of information, I just cannot get on board. I'd rather it be like casually introduced. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I yeah. get that. I can think of a I show can... that does this really well, though. Like I remember okay. watching uh, Avatar The Last Airbender way back in the day mm-hmm. and thinking that it really doesn't overload you with any of the like the the history of this world it only like is just like because it's got a like quite a strange magical system it's got a world that is split into a bunch of different things different factional stuff all going on but it only really comes up when it's relevant and i think a lot of places really need to learn that yeah i kind of i don't think this is the same thing it's kind of the opposite but i do kind of feel it with uh, we've talked about it before with star wars now like i used to be so excited when there's a new star wars thing because they were so rare and like you know there was always the extended universe stuff right and expanded universe even but i never really if you didn't want to engage with that you didn't have to it didn't feel like you needed to to do this research but i haven't watched ahsoka just because i never really i never watched rebels i didn't feel a connection with that and although i've heard it's good and like i've always heard people say thrawn is an amazing character but i never read the books he was in i never watched rebels so i just have no connection i feel like at this point star wars is just and it's not i'm not blaming him star wars just isn't made for me at the moment and it's a shame because those core films I'll always love. It's always Andor. Yeah, it's always Andor, and I will watch Andor. I think that's why I enjoyed Andor so much, because you literally needed pretty much no prior knowledge whatsoever to enjoy that show. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's things that have been, I've ever been like turned off by because they're so daunting. I don't know, really... I have so many. Go on, <laughs> There's go on, so go many on, things that are just intimidating. Like, I've never watched Naruto, but it's really, really long. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I never that, know if I'm going to get around to that. I think it's different, though, because I, I would say that, like, Naruto and, like, One Piece, for instance, it definitely shows that people are intimidated by the length of them. Uh, and that's definitely true. But, like, if you were picking those up for, like, let's say we went back to the the 90s and started watching them for the first time, it'd just be like, oh, the episode came out, right? Mm-hmm. It's only after the fact that there's so much of it. I think it's different for it to be, like, the show itself is just, like, front-loading you with way too much information that's, like, unattainable. Like, yeah. 
I do think like I'm kind. Of, I know enough that I get by, but whenever I start a new Yakuza game, so I never played many of the original ones. Kind of, they do throw a lot of like they kind of assume you know who the Tojo Clan are and who a lot of these like people are or places. I meant like, to bring this up actually because I have yeah. been playing um, the man who erased his name, which I don't mm-hmm. really like all that much because oh, I think it is just this. It is like because uh, I didn't play Yakuza Six, so you know I don't really care about all of the specifics of like what happened, you know, to. Kirio specifically during this time like it's, it is just filling you in on the events of that and then where he goes next and like but these are consequences to a story that I don't really care all that much about which I guess is to be expected for this but yeah it's kind of the curse of right connected things right you're always going to feel a little bit a little bit lost but mm-hmm. yeah keep things simple that's what I say uh, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com for more of your feedback about anything really just let us know. Yeah. I don't know. Open call. <laughs> Do yeah, whatever open you call. want. <laughs> AMA. Next week we'll do an AMA. I don't know. That's come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. We'll probably get like two questions now. Anything you want to know? Ask us. I don't know who's going to be on it. Don't know. Probably me. Let's face it. But uh, who knows? Um, what music should we end with this week? Has it got to be Waterloo by ABBA? Yeah. Because like Ridley so. didn't give it to us. So, and you know me, any excuse to put ABBA on and I'm going to do it. <laughs> Despite what other people want. Car, did you um, want to go to uh, Abba the Journey? With I re- <laughs> do you know what? I've been looking. I didn't realise it's like 100 quid. Yeah. Should we? Should you and I money. go for the pod? If it was half as much, I'd go. Mm. If anyone can get by, we'll get them free tickets. Uh, I don't know. I we go. could probably put it on some expenses, though. And that's why I'm saying you and me, mate. Can, we, can I expense Abba? Well, well, we'll, we'll, we'll record a research. secret episode while yeah. we're there. We'll bring yeah, a- I need I need to go see Abba for research for the Napoleon video I've already made. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get it done. All right. Anyway, I'm going to go. Maybe I'll watch some Invincible. Who knows? You must. Recommend yeah, it. You. you should. I hope it's everyone has it. a lovely weekend. Yeah, That's mate, my hope. I'm going to play Persona. Oh, I'm going to play some Dominoes. Here's some Abba. <laughs> Hey folks, I'm Yen. And I'm Nat. And we're the hosts of Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are sans knowledge. Comic Sans is a show for people who know nothing about comics, like me. And people who love them, like me, and want to learn more about them. What makes you an authority on comic books? I read them, write them, live them, breathe them. What makes you the authority on knowing nothing? Honestly, Yen, two seasons in, I actually know a little more than I used to. You're welcome. The reason for that is that every episode, I make Nat read one of my favourite comics, like Daredevil Saga or This One Summer. And then he tells me what makes that comic so special. And then I hear what Nat thinks and I try to avoid a pulmonary embolism. While I actively try to give him one. You can listen to the second season of Comic Sans now. With new episodes every two weeks. Wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Yen, I think I know so much about comics now that this might have to be our last season. Nat, there will forever be more comic than you will ever know. What does that even mean? I don't know, it sounds profound though, right? (laughs) 